At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. Cool story, eh? Yeah. Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? That's really the question that matters as you encounter people who don't know Jesus. That, that really zeroes in on, on the core. What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? That's the central question of today's message. That's the question that I want us to look at as, and explore over the next uh, 20, 25 minutes, whatever, this morning. Um, hopefully, you've been reading through the New Testament. Um, we're in this series called NT90, where we're reading through the New Testament in 90 days. We're in the home stretch in the last couple of weeks, getting there. Over this last week, if you've been re- reading, you've, been, you've read uh, 1st and 2nd Timothy, First uh, second Timothy, that was a week ago. First and second Peter uh, is, uh, is kind of where we are right now. Peter was written, those two letters from Peter, written by Peter, were, um, were written by the, um, one of the inner circle of the apostles. So Peter, James, and John were probably Jesus' closest friends uh, there. Um, Peter was the guy who was bold and um, uh, Johnny on the spot. He was the, he was the one um, reaching out, saying stuff all the time. Peter was all about action, right? So, uh, so he was the guy who walked on water. He was the guy when Jesus said, who do people say I am? Peter said, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, man, you're right. Peter was the guy who denied Jesus in the garden or, uh, at, or, at Caiaphas' house on the night of his crucifixion. Um, Peter was that guy. And so when you read those two letters from, he, from him, you see his heart, you see his love for Jesus, and uh, really, really good stuff. The book of James was right before that. James was written by the half-brother of Jesus. Um, they, same mom, Mary. Um, James' father would have been um, uh, Joseph, sorry, brain, woo, just slipped out there. Uh, would have been Joseph. Uh, <laughs> Jesus' father would have been the Holy Spirit. So half-brother of Jesus, and, and James didn't really come to believe in Jesus until after his resurrection, but powerful stuff there. The book of James is actually the book that I recommend to most people who've never read the Bible before to read after they've read at least one of the Gospels because it deals with real life stuff that's just real practical for us. Deals with um, what do you do when, you, when you're going through a difficult time? Um, it deals with, with uh, our, our speech, the words that we say, and how much good they can create and how much damage they can do. It deals with prejudice in the book of James. Um, it deals with, with how short our life on earth is. Um, good stuff in James. Uh, hopefully, you've enjoyed reading that. If you haven't, jump in and, and start there and read just to the end of the New Testament. That'd be great. But what are, where I want to go today is in the book of Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews we started about a week ago, and um, so much good stuff in Hebrews. The core truth in Hebrews is that Jesus is our high priest. If you read through it, it was like over and over again. Deb and I were talking about it, and she said, man, he just keeps saying, Jesus is our high priest, Jesus is our high priest, Jesus is our high priest. That's true, because 
Jesus is our high priest. Uh, that's, where, that's where we're going to go. If you're from a Catholic background, that makes perfect sense. That the whole concept of, of a priest that, that goes between God and man, high priest, kind of, you get that. If you became a follower of Jesus in an evangelical church, not a, not a Catholic uh, context, that doesn't make sense at all because you've been taught about the priesthood of all believers, that we, that we all, um, through Jesus, are able to talk to God. And so the whole high priest thing doesn't really work at all for you. It's not a concept that you're real familiar with. Um, if you're from a background that's a Raiders of the Lost Ark background, um, when you hear high priest, you think Belloc, right? Uh, with the big old turban and the scepter around the Ark of the Covenant, all that kind of stuff. Um, what I want to do today is just kind of dive into the book of Hebrews um, and, and see what that's like. That wasn't, none of those concepts were really what were in the minds of the Jews, the Hebrews in the first century. They worshiped in local synagogues. That, that was where their worship took place. But for them, the big deal was to, it, uh, it really was to go to Jerusalem and worship in the temple. There in the temple in Jerusalem, you could have priests who offered sacrifices for you. There in the temple was the holy place where God's presence was. And the holy of holies, the most holy place, where once a year, the high priest, after he had um, cleansed himself, after he had sacrificed for himself, the high priest would go in and sacrifice on behalf of the entire Jewish nation. Their whole nation depended upon the high priest going into the holy of holies and sacrificing on their behalf. Um, let's take a look. We're going we're gonna to just buzz through a lot of Hebrews to try and uh, condense it and, and make it, have it make sense, this concept that Jesus is our high priest. If you've got your app, go there. If you've got your Bibles, get it out. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. The writer of Hebrews, oh, I didn't say this about Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. Um, it's the one book in the New Testament that, that we just don't know, which is really kind of interesting. Most of the other letters, uh, the author puts his name on there, says who it is, who, is it, who it's going to. Not so with the book of Hebrews. It's a very logical letter. Um, it's actually one of the reasons, uh, historically, most people think, or people have thought that Paul wrote it. But one of the reasons why a lot of scholars think, ah, it's probably not Paul, is because it is, it's written using a Greek um, philosophical perspective that's different than a Hebrew one. It's the way everything is structured is different. Paul's very logical, but, uh, the, but the book of Hebrews is written in kind of a different style. And, and Paul puts his name on all the other letters that he wrote. So it, it doesn't really matter. We can trust. It's always been accepted as truth, as a part of scripture. We just don't know who wrote it. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice 
that would take away the sins of the people. There's that imagery that makes sense. Understand this as the, as the core of today's message. Jesus became one of us so he could die as one of us and take the punishment for each of us and so become our high priest. Jesus became one of us so he could die as one of us and, and in his death take the punishment of each of us and so become our high priest. Hebrews chapter nine. Christ didn't enter into a holy place like the holy of holies in the temple made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Hebrews chapter 10. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice, good for all time. There was, a, there was this doctrine taught in the first century that uh, sin, our sin, whenever we sin, it continually put Jesus back on the cross, suffering and dying over and over and over again on our behalf. The writer of Hebrews takes that on very clearly, very directly, and says, no, Jesus died once as a sacrifice for our sin. One time was all that it took. That work was completed in Jesus' death. Jesus became one of us so that he could die as one of us and take the punishment for each of us and become our high priest. Get this, as our high priest, Jesus understands everything that we go through. Just as the high priest understood the, the circumstances of the people that they serve for in the Jewish nation, Jesus understands everything that we go through. He is our advocate. Uh, one of the mis biggest misunderstandings I think people have about Jesus today is whether or not Jesus really understands the stuff that we're going through. It's, it's really important, I think, to grasp this, to internalize it, to embrace what scripture says is true. Because when you're going through a divorce, when you're deep in the depths of depression, when your child is struggling, when, when somebody that you love is being ravaged by disease or dies, Satan says to us over and over again, God doesn't understand. How could he understand? God's so far distant from you. Jesus, Jesus doesn't really understand. He was perfect. Yeah, he lived on earth, but he was perfect. He doesn't understand. 
Frank Grafe, a, a Methodist minister in Philadelphia, wrote these words in 1901. 1901, 120 years ago. He was 31. By the time he was 31, his father had died, his mother had died, three of his sisters had died. He wrote these words. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for joy or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief there is no relief, though my tears flow all the night long. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Does he care for me? Does he see? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. The writer of Hebrews says Jesus understands. And because of that understanding, he pleads our, uh, he pleads our case before God as our advocate. Webster says an advocate is a person like a lawyer who, who works and argues in support of another's cause especially in court. Hebrews 4 says this, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he didn't sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. Hebrews chapter two says, since Jesus himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we're tested. John wrote, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Picture in your mind that Jesus is our lawyer, defending us before God, pleading our case, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what he has done. He became the sacrifice. He paid the price. And so he speaks to the father and says, you know what? They don't need to be punished. I've already taken their punishment. There's, there's another word that the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews uses. He says, Jesus, as our high priest, Jesus is our mediator. Let me just pause just for a second. I think I got time to tell this. I got a, I got a picture one time from, from a child, which was great. It was a picture about the message. Um, and uh, and it, said, uh, it said, it had Jesus coming down from the clouds, people on the earth. And it's, it had written in crayon, Jesus is our meteor. It said, Jesus is our meteor, M-E-T-E-O-R. <laughs> Jesus, he's not our meteor, okay? He's our mediator, <laughs> Um, while an advocate speaks in favor of someone, defends them, protects them, 
A mediator is a person who negotiates between two parties who, am, who are embroiled in what appears to be an un, um, unresolvable conflict. A mediator brings two parties together that can't get together. What's the unresolvable conflict for us? It's this, that God loves us and we long for God, but our sin separates us from God irreversibly. There's no way to make that right. That's the conflict. We can't be in God's presence. We can't do anything to win his favor because our sinfulness, and he can't betray his nature. God had created a system, the law that he gave Moses, to make it possible for man and, and God to be reconciled, but no one could obey, could obey the entire law. And so Jesus came, and in his role as mediator, he negotiated a new system, a new covenant, a new relationship between God and man. Sin was wiped out. It was atoned for by a perfect sacrifice. The new system maintained the character and holiness of God, and it eliminated the sinfulness of man. Again, because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 8 says this, Now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. Hebrews chapter 9, For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That's why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called and receive the internal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sin they had committed under that old system, under that first covenant. Paul writes to Timothy and says, There is one God... And one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Jesus is our advocate, as our high priest. He's our mediator, and he is our intercessor. An advocate speaks for us and defends us. A mediator negotiates a new agreement that works for both man and God. But an intercessor goes before God in real time, every day, continually on our behalf. While the advocate stood with us in judgment, the intercessor stands with us moment by moment, day by day. Hebrews 7, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. There are many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who came to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf, on our behalf. He's the, he's the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He's been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those, uh, those other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all. 
when he offered himself as a sacrifice for people's sins. Because Jesus is our high priest, there is no need for a human priest to hear confession, to grant absolution, to tell us we're forgiven. You all don't need me to go to God on your behalf. We have a high priest. Jesus became the high priest so that we all could stand before God blameless, healed, and whole. He did the work. It all depends on him. As I was reading through Hebrews this week, uh, this idea of what Jesus has done for us, it, it just was on my mind every day. I read a news report of a, about a man that I've never met who died when, uh, at, at the age of 80. He was from Boston, and his name was Dick Hoyt. I first became aware of him about 15 years ago. He and his wife, Judy, gave birth to a son in 1962 and named him Richard or Rick. Rick's umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck in the womb, and as a result, Rick was born with cerebral palsy. His body was severely damaged, and doctors recommended that he would be institutionalized for the rest of his life. But Dick and Judy decided to raise their son, Rick, like any other kid. They advocated for him to be mainstreamed in public school. They interceded over and over again for him to get the proper medical care that he needed. They stood in his place to get a specialized computer that could help him communicate with them when he was 11 years old. When Rick was in high school, he learned of a, a lacrosse player who had suffered an injury that had left him paralyzed. Uh, his friends had organized a five-mile run to raise money for this, guy, this lacrosse player's care. And Rick, through his computer, asked his dad if they could run in the race to give this injured athlete hope and let him know that he could still live a full life. Rick's father, Dick, was 36, year old, 36 years old and out of shape. But he agreed. How, how could you say no to your son just because it was hard? They finished the five-mile race with Dick pushing Rick in a, mild, in, a, in a modified wheelchair. They finished next to last, not last, but it started a journey that would have them over the next 40 years together complete 72 marathons and, 62 Ironman, and six Ironman triathlons. They ran Boston 32 times, and at the beginning of the, the uh, race in Boston, there's a statue of Rick and Dick Hoyt. I want you to see their story on screen. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? 
story. Our necks have been wrapped with a selfishness that has left us broken and disfigured by sin. There's a person trapped in our sin, struggling to get out, to feel the wind, to be freed from that brokenness that is our lives. And when we ask, we have a father who through Jesus does all of the work. Jesus has been where we are. He gave himself fully for us, pouring out his life on our behalf. He became our high priest, defending us to God. 
negotiating a reconciliation that we didn't deserve and even now stands before the Father speaking on our behalf. So we all have a choice. Do we accept Jesus as our high priest or do we try and do it on our own? Do we try and defend ourselves before God? I think the question is, if we have a high priest like Jesus, why would we even try to do it on our own? All we have to do is ask. Let's pray. Lord, um, we... When we come to grips with who you are and what Jesus has done for us, we don't even know what to say. Your love is amazing. It's so powerful. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus, allowing him to die in our place, allowing us to speak to you because of him. Amen. For us, sometimes there's this question that says, what do we do with Jesus? What do we, is Jesus real? Let me me share just a little bit more of Andy's story. Take a look on screen. In Romans 1, 19 through 20, Paul puts it this way. He says that ever since the earth and sky were created, God has been obvious to people. He says that basically his internal power and divine nature is present in all of the things around us. And all we really have to do is look. Uh, And that's that's the evidence that I need. Um, You know, as a, a fire ecologist, I see this and I see a fire scar. This was an oak tree that burned a long time ago uh, and actually trees grow in rings and so it would have killed parts of the tree and then started to grow around it and you can actually see the char inside that and you know to me that's evidence of a history of fire in this forest and what its effects would have been and I think the same thing can be said of faith if we look around us enough uh, the evidence can start piling up and uh, if you're struggling with that uh, I just encourage you to reach out with someone um, and talk through it and try to find that evidence uh, so that uh, you know you can have faith in a God who loves you and would uh, sacrifice himself for you. Thanks. That, that evidence shows itself in lots of different ways. It shows itself in creation. But also in Jesus' case, it shows itself in the prophecies that were made about Jesus hundreds of years before he was born. We're going to finish our service with a time of communion. If if you didn't pick up um, if you didn't pick up one of the communion packs, feel free to just go grab them now. Maybe the ushers can help if you need some. But let me let me read from Isaiah fifty three, again written hundreds of years hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Isaiah wrote these words: My servant grew up. In the Lord's presence, like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. 
There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and he looked the other way. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised. We didn't care. It was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sin of us all. Communion is a time that we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. I'd like for you, if you would, to just go ahead and take the wafer out right now and to recognize that this represents the body of Jesus that was wounded and bruised, beaten and killed for us. Take it, remember him. juice that we drink reminds us that Jesus' blood was given freely for us. Blood that, that ran from his head, from his hands, his feet, from his side, his back. Blood that Jesus gave willingly. It wasn't taken from him. He willingly gave it for us. And so we drink it now to remember his blood being shed for us. Let's pray again. God, words fail when we think about what Jesus went through for us. The agony, the pain, the separation. God, we thank you. We thank you that he would do that for us, that you would love us so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.